Welcome to the So Much More Podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Amy. We've been married for almost 24 years. We have four kids. We live in the Dominican Republic. We're missionaries. We're both educators, have pastored together. And love mentoring others. Oh, and we love sharing our story. Join us for this real talk about how to get more out of this thing called life. Well, hey, welcome to episode five of the So Much More podcast. I hope you're doing great. How are you, honey? I'm so good. So good. Guess what, y'all? She just celebrated her birthday. Let's say she's right about the middle of the 40s. About the middle of the Maybe 40s. Maybe exactly right in the middle of the 40s. Happy 45th birthday. Thanks. Well, hey, we are here wrapping up our four-part series on marriage. It's been called Four for More, uh, Four Essentials to Help You Discover More for Your Marriage. I hope you've enjoyed the episode so far, starting off with the cheerleader. Then we talked about communication and connection. And today, we're talking about commitment. Commitment for us is something we left till the very end of the series because, honestly, we believe it's it's the most important thing. Uh, without commitment, then trying to connect, trying to communicate better, it's very difficult to be a cheerleader for your other person, your partner, your spouse, if you don't have a sense of commitment to the marriage. So commitment, here it is, ready to jump in. All right, let's define commitment. It is a noun. It's the state of being all in. Commit is a verb. It means to bind two people or a person and an organization or two things to one another. All right. So when we've talked about commitment before, we've taught Bible studies and led small groups. We've done marriage curriculum. This idea of commitment always comes up again because it's super important to a marriage relationship. And I thought of this illustration years ago, probably 12, 13 years ago, uh, and I still use it and I still love it. I think it's super helpful. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a sound with an object here, and I want you to try to see if you can guess what it is. Okay? Ready? Here we go. Did you get it? All right. Let me try that again. You ready? Here we go. So, any guesses? It's the worst sound in the entire world. Okay. You think that. That is true. It's a creepy little sound. This is an object. This is a, a, a thing that you will find all over your life, whether you realize it or not. Why does it bother you so much? Okay, so when we used to work at the movie theater, right? Like back in high school? That's where we met back in 1991. We met at the movie theater. It's a Go long ahead. time ago. Okay, so I, would, I was at the box office selling tickets, and there would just be an unusual amount of men with Velcro wallets and they would get their little sweaty Velcro wallets out of their pocket and then make like open it up, you know? And I just think at some point, if you're a man, you should lose your Velcro wallet and not have it anymore. But the Velcro is an amazing invention. Think about this. You guys know what this is, right? So it's everywhere. It's Maybe less than it was back in the 80s and 90s, or it was surely invented before that, but but that's when we grew up. So I remember the Velcro. It's amazing. Think about it. Guys, maybe you had the Velcro sneakers. 
that you could put on and take off real easy. You didn't have to learn to tie your shoes, and then your mom didn't yell at you because you forgot to untie them, and now they have a knot in there. You just zip them on, and you zip them off. It was amazing. And then the Velcro wallet, the Incredible Hulk, or maybe you had Spider-Man or Superman. So convenient, right? Okay, but when you're 20 and older, you should lose the Velcro wallet. Okay, so we've just alienated anybody over 20 who's listening to this that might still have a Velcro wallet. I think that's okay. Okay, guys. Well, take it for what it is. Here's the thing, though. In our modern day and age, these type of things, when Velcro was invented, I mean, mind-blowing. It's like the best thing since sliced bread because you could fasten two things together quickly and easily, and it would, it would hold, right? That's the point. It would hold. But what's the incredible feature of Velcro? When you no longer want the two things together, you just pull them apart. Simple as that. It's amazing. So, so what does it have to do with marriage? Think about it. In your marriage relationship, there's, there's another substance which is as cool and super powerful as Velcro. That has a totally different effect. And I don't think you outgrow this one. You may not, and it's still really useful. Think about Velcro. You got that image. You got two things stuck together. Take them apart easily and compare that to super glue. Now, super glue, right? This amazing substance that has been created by science that will allow things. I remember the commercial in the 80s of the guy, the construction guy in New York City probably with on a on a high beam steel thing up in a skyscraper and he's super glued his hard hat to the beam and he's hanging on because super glue is super glue is so strong remember that no you don't remember that commercial anyway so super glue and velcro think about your relationship which of those two things should be holding your marriage together i think in modern times we have taken the convenience of Velcro and applied it to our relationships. Like, hey, we'll stick together. It's convenient. It's easy. It does hold. But at any point down the road, when we apply enough pressure, those two things can be separated with leaving, without leaving any remnant of the other, without any damage, without any effect on the two objects. That's the amazing marvel that is Velcro. But do the same thing with super glue. You know, you've got that stuff on your fingers before and it like rips your skin apart. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Take two things, super glue them together and then try to take them apart. If you're able to get them apart, which sometimes you can, the amount of damage that's caused as a result of that is incredible. And so think about that with your marriage. Keep that illustration in your mind as we talk about this idea of commitment. Velcro versus super glue. It makes a big difference in how you view your marriage think when we do marriage and we have this out in our head, right, then we're not going to be able to do the other three essentials well. If I have this out in my head, then we're not going to fully connect to one another. Something will be missing. Maybe it will be spiritual intimacy. Maybe it's the physical intimacy or emotional intimacy, but something will be off because I'm always thinking about the out. And if I have an out in my mind, then I'm not your biggest fan. I'm not your biggest cheerleader. What I actually now become is a fair weather fan. I'm only in when it's good. And as soon as you start losing, I'm out of here. I'm going to change to the next team. And then when I think about our communication, if, if I have this out in mind, when, 
when we need to talk and I need to be transparent and honest and vulnerable with you, I'm going to choose not to be because if I know that any minute you could be out or I'll be out, then why would I open myself up to really communicating the things in my heart with you? That out that we sometimes find people having for their marriage is the very thing that's keeping them from being able to be strong in their connection and and being a cheerleader and in their communication. With an out, you're living as though your relationship is Velcro. And when you don't like how something's going, instead of digging in and working it out, you become passive. You stop working. You stop trying. Scott, why do you think it is that the people who sat in your office and were having premarital counseling or during their marriage they were having counseling, why do you think commitment was such a hard like idea to grasp. I think honestly, people are afraid of it. I mean, you, you probably know people, maybe you've dated people, maybe your spouse was this person at some point where, and you hear about it all the time, like, oh man, she or he is afraid of commitment. Guys, it's usually on us. Man, he's so afraid of commitment. He's so afraid of commitment. And that's because it's this idea of permanency. It's the idea that, wow, like I'm in this, I'm stuck. Uh, this is something I may not be able to get out of, and that creates a, a bit of anxiety for, and maybe it's working against the sense of freedom that we have. Like, man, this is my life, and so yeah, there's something scary about it. Uh, we enter it sometimes. I've seen many couples that have walked into their marriage relationship with the idea of it being a contract. Think of a business contract. Think of a a contract on a new home or any t- any type of contract between you and another person. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. I'm going to pay you this amount of money to get this service. And you're going to sign here and I'm going to sign here. We're going to agree to this. And it's a binding contract. But there's usually an out clause. There's always some way that if you don't fulfill your side of it, or if I don't fulfill my side of it, then legally we're allowed to get out of the contract. And if that's how we're approaching marriage, then we're seeing it as a Velcro arrangement. When we see marriage as a covenant, something that is not just between two people, but it's a marriage covenant between two people and God, and you're walking into that covenant with this idea of it's this is permanent until death do us part, that changes your entire perspective. And it changes what you're willing to do to make the marriage work. When you say the phrase even, um, people thinking that commitment, like you're you're stuck. I think we had to have some sort of mind shift, right? From being stuck in a marriage or stuck in a relationship or we're stuck in this thing. We should be shifting our mind to thinking it's an honor and it's a privilege to be with our spouse. Or when we start thinking that this is too hard. This isn't fun anymore. We need to have a mind shift and remind ourselves that the very best things, they take work and they take intentionality. It's reframing those negative things that we say. Scotty's therapist would would talk about it all the time with her. And it's so true. We all should do it. But they they would talk to her about like self-talk, right? It's all those negative things she would say. I can't do this. It's too hard. And instead she had to rephrase it, reframe it to... Scotty can do this. I can do this. Right? I think it's the same thing that we have to do um, in the way we approach and think about marriage. We need to reframe it from the negative. And so to reframe the negative perspective on marriage, I think we have to go back to Scripture and we have to look at what 
God's design and intent was for husband and wife. If you go back to Genesis 2, we talked about this in a previous episode, this passage of Scripture, but the last couple of verses here in chapter 2 say it. It says in Genesis 2, 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's the idea of two becoming one. And then you hear this all the time at the end of, the, of, a, of a wedding ceremony, right? You know, you, right before you kiss the bride, the, the pastor or the priest usually says something along the lines of, what God has joined together, let no man dare to separate. The old King James Version says, let no man put asunder, which is kind of weird because, like, when's the last time you used the word asunder? But the idea is that it was his design and intention that a man and a wife would be married and that commitment would last forever, that nothing would separate them. And it's, it's not easy. This marriage commitment takes a lot of work. And after 23 years of marriage, we've learned that. But we just realized a minute ago that both of our parents, our sets of parents, have been married over 50 years. Mine just o- almost 53 Almost 52 years. Mm-hmm. And yours, how long? They just celebrated 51 years two weeks ago. Yeah. So like between us, we have 103 years of marriage uh, a legacy in our parents, which which is great. We're very proud of them for sticking with it for so long. But here's the idea. Well, I, I remember this phrase, talking to my friend Ryan. He's one of our missionaries here in the Dominican Republic. But when they first moved here and, and within those first few months and first years of being on the ground as a missionary in another country, it's not the easiest thing in the world that you do. And I remember as he would share, like as they struggle with things, new things, language, culture, just missing things from home and all that, he always would say, this is kind of their family mantra, and they would say, we can do hard things. We can do hard things in Spanish. Podemos hacer cosas difíciles. We can do hard things. And I thought, wow, that's so applicable to marriage. We can do this. We can do hard things. Yes, we can. Oh, it's like Bob the Builder. What did Bob the Builder say? Yes, we can. Oh, look. (laughs) You remember that. That's good. Um, When I think back to planning our wedding and sitting in our premarital counseling and we were talking about marriage and we're talking about the biblical marriage that Scott just was talking about. And we were going over what was going to be in the ceremony and doing all those things. And this idea of submission and being a submissive wife, I just had a really difficult time wrapping my head just around the entire concept. What I've discovered is that the more I've grown in my faith and the longer I've been married, I would even say the longer I've been married to Scott, who who is kind and has very much modeled a biblical husband role to me, that this idea of submission has grown and blossomed into something that I no longer misunderstand or think of it in a negative light. But I, in fact, I embrace it wholly. And I would tell anyone that I I feel as though I am a submissive wife. But I want to read Ephesians 5.22 to verse 33 to you before I tell you why I think I'm a submissive wife and why I'm proud of it. Wives, submit to your husbands as as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, 
so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I can't count how many times we would teach this. And you could just see the wives scoot to the end of their chair waiting to hear what we have to say. And then sometimes the husbands also waiting to hear what we have to say and just hoping that what we would say is, hey, wives, you should obey your husbands. Well, I think it's interesting as you read that passage, if you even go back one verse before that in verse 21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's this idea of, of this, this idea of submission is a very misunderstood thing. I, I've used it many, many times in wedding ceremonies and with almost every couple in premarital counseling when I talk about, hey, here's the script, here's what we're going to talk about. Uh, do you understand what this means before you commit to it? And it's a great conversation because, yes, a majority of people misunderstand it if they've even heard of it or read of it. And so to be able to walk through it together and say, here's what this really means. Here's what you're committing to. Uh, I haven't had very many couples say, yeah, can you skip that part? Uh, because it's something that, hey, we want to have a biblical marriage. We want to love each other the way that God has called us to. And this is a model. By the way, you see no good examples in the Bible of marriage. Like there's really no perfect couple. If you think about in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Every married couple you read about, there was some issues. Even if they didn't explicitly tell you what they were, there was, there's no perfect couple. All we can see in Ephesians and other passages in Scripture is a model for what Christian marriage should look like. You're taking two broken people and asking them to commit to one another and asking them to make it work and, and work through the difficulties and bring in brokenness and baggage into a relationship. Yes, there's going to be struggles along the way. But if we can learn to submit to one another and then submit to, to the Lord, it can make a difference. Husbands, I just wonder when I'm reading these verses and how many times it talks about how the husbands are loving their wives. I, I just want to ask you, are you loving your wives the way Christ loves the church? He loves the church completely. He never gives up on the church. He's always available to the church. He sacrifices himself for the church. Husbands, are you loving your wife like that? Because here's what I know. I believe that a wife who experiences that kind of love from her husband will find it a little easier to submit to their husbands. I willingly submit to, to Scott's leadership in, in our family because I know that he loves Jesus. I know that he loves me, and he wants the best for our family. I submit to Scott because he doesn't abuse me or neglect me or treat me as though I'm unworthy. I submit to Scott because he listens to me. He values my opinion. 
I submit to Scott because I know that he is the one who will stand before God and be held accountable for how he led our family. And here's the thing. I don't want to be his reason for stumbling in that. I don't want to be that stumbling block standing in his way for leadership because I fought him on this biblical model of submission. I submit to Scott because he's worthy of having that position. He has proven himself worthy to me to hold that position. It's interesting to me because as we were preparing, I got sucked into the world of the Greek words. And Scott 100% definitely called me a nerd. Yeah, well, okay. So if you start looking up Greek words and writing a lot of post-it notes with Greek words, yeah, you might be a nerd. I know, but the Greek words are amazing. Words are fun. So here's what I found. So I just told you everything I do believe to be true about submission. But then I found this like little rabbit trail when I looked for the Greek word to submit in Ephesians 5.22. And here's what I found. I found that there is a, it's a Greek word. And the Greek word is what you were going to. The Greek word is hupotasomai. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I didn't go to seminary and I didn't study Greek. But I love it. Maybe I should have. Yeah, I had to look up how to pronounce that word. So, so that it didn't semester, help you? Those two semesters, yeah, probably didn't help as much as they should have. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the, the verb um, is the middle part of that word. And the verb, ta- is it tasso? Mm-hmm. It means, it, it was often used in um, reference to like military. It was like a strategy. Military word meaning to like set, to arrange, to order, or to deploy. Okay, so think of the military context for that verb. Then that, is it hupo? Is they, when I look to the Greek prefix, it's what you think of when you think of like hypo. And this prefix means to under. So you're thinking under arrange or under order or under deploy. And then the last part of the word, the M-A-I part, is kind of the think, the grammatical part telling what role. Like is it passive? Is it active voice? And in this case, it's very much like English reflexive. So you're reflecting the verb back to yourself. So if I put those three things together, Everything I saw was saying that this word is saying, wives, you're going to set yourself under. So I'm choosing, right? It's reflexive. I'm choosing. I'm going to set myself under my husband to support him. I'm setting myself under my husband to deploy myself in his defense, to be his greatest supporter. I'm arranging myself for battle for my husband. I don't know when I think about those things, and I do believe that the submission I was talking about first is true, too, that you are the leader. But to think of myself like in a military, strategic kind of way, that I am setting myself up, I am deploying myself, I am arranging myself under you in order to support you, to defend you. I don't know. It just brings me back to Eve's creation and that... She was created to be his helpmate. And I think that's so exciting. Isn't that exciting, Scott? So exciting. You're Thanks for sharing some Greek nearly, with us. It's Greek to me. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was wasted money. All right, moving on. So before we go further, just a little disclaimer as we talk about this, especially this passage of Scripture. And Amy's 
explanation in terms of our marriage and how this has worked. I remember years and years ago, uh, a mentor of ours telling this and probably teaching us this in a class to say, hey, if husbands are doing their job, it's a lot easier for the wives to do theirs. And so, guys, it starts with us. It starts with us. I, I realize as we, as we speak these words to you that this may not be your reality. You may not be married, or if you are married, uh, you may end up being in a relationship that is um, it, it's not structured. It's not set up necessarily with this Christian biblical model. Uh, but it starts with you guys. So listen, you have to learn how to love the way Christ loves. Notice it started talking about how husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ took the initiative in this relationship with us. His sacrificial love is what really started it all. And so, guys, it starts there. If you're having trouble in this area in terms of knowing how to love your wives this way or showing love this way, then you need to begin to pray about that and ask God to change your heart to come to appreciate the sacrificial love that Christ has for you. It's got to start in your heart. It was you learn, once you learn to appreciate that love he has for you, that then can overflow in the way you love your wife. And then ask for the power to love her that way. And as you begin to change and transform into that likeness of Christ, as you learn to love the way Christ has loved, as you learn to sacrifice the way that Christ has, you will begin to notice a difference in her. And wives, I think back to how many times I have sat with other women. And most of the time they weren't saying to me, Amy, I refuse to submit to my husband. I don't want to. That's not usually what what they were craving and wanting. What they were wanting was their husband to be the biblical head of their household, to be a biblical leader. So wives, if you're waiting for your husband to change into this type of husband, Oh my goodness, just keep praying. Be patient and be loving. And you, you obviously, you continue to seek that relationship with Jesus. What I want to issue a caution to is this. Sometimes women get so, like, it's got to be done, and they just stomp all over this role that their husbands are supposed to have, and they just take charge, and they take control of it, and they're not giving him enough room to grow into that space, to learn to lead. Because why should he try if she's already doing it? So where I would say continue to to take your kids to church and to develop your relationship with Jesus, I just caution you not to step into that role completely because he's never going to if you're taking up all this space. Scott, do you think that you still need to submit even if he's not where he's supposed to be. So like as a wife, am I supposed to submit to you no matter what, even if you aren't serving into that biblical, like Christ loving the church kind of role? Um, I think it depends. So here's the thing, ladies. Let's say that mm, your husband's got a ways to go. What you need to be doing is praying for him. Uh, I would say this, so long as he's not leading you and your family in a way that dishonors God, then try your very best to keep submitting. Try your very best to be supportive. Try your very best as you pray for him and love him and show respect to him, as Scripture says. Uh, be supportive in that way. In the meantime, you just got to keep praying. Pray your guts out. We didn't say it was impossible to submit if he's not leading and loving like Jesus. 
It's not impossible. There are some ways you can still do that, even while he's trying to grow and conform to this, this way of doing it, the way Christ has done it. We just said it was easier when he is. So you keep working at it. You can do it. You can, through the power of God in your life, you can learn to submit as you see God transform your husband in a way that's loving. Yeah. I think also if you find yourself in that position, right, where your husband is not taking on that biblical leadership role in your your family and in your marriage right now, maybe if you view submission the way I talked about in the Greek as you are putting yourself as his like military backup and you're there to support him. And that support may come in the form of prayer. That support comes in the form of encouraging. That's all a form of submission. Even if it's not the nice little submission sermonette that you will hear once a year at church. Okay, for some final perspective, I just want to go back to what I shared before, um, having met with dozens and dozens of couples over the years, in both in premarital counseling, but also in marriage counseling when things aren't going well. Um, I've done lots and lots of weddings and almost every, I would say every couple that I've ever counseled ahead of time is walking into this idea of marriage with commitment in mind. I mean, no one said to me, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm kind of 50, 50 in on this deal, but let's just go ahead and do it because it makes financial sense. Nobody's ever said that. They always believe that they're committed to the relationship and I want to believe that they are. The problem is that as time goes on and things become difficult, as the fairy tale sort of wears off, as the newness subsides, the difficult things begin to happen. And if you allow in your vocabulary, if you allow in your mindset to be, hey, I have an out, you'll find an out. There'll always be a reason to get out. And so from my perspective, you just got to be all in. You got to be, you got to put the super glue on. You got to stick it together. And you got to do everything you can possibly do not to try to rip it apart when things get hard. We were married young. I mean, 21 years old, not even graduated college yet. Just young and stupid and in love and married. But there was this innate like thing inside of me that said that he was going to be my number one priority. I don't even know where I would have taken that idea from. But from the beginning, I knew that our relationship, after my relationship with Jesus, it was him. It will always be him. And when the kids were little and I was exhausted and tired and I didn't feel like putting forth energy in our marriage, I still did. And then when the kids get older and you think it's supposed to get easier and it's just more exhausting and they're busier and life is just busier, he was still my number one priority in that household. And then when we moved, when we moved to the Dominican Republic to work with Macarios, I knew that what I needed to do was to set up our household, help our girls transition, and then to support Scott. I knew coming in here that my primary role was to support him for our relationship to be our top priority because I needed him to be healthy and thriving in this place that I just chose Scott over and over and over. And that choosing that person and that relationship, that's what commitment is. I was, I'm all in. I've been all in from the beginning. 
And that's what I think I, I would encourage wives to think of day in and day out, whether you have a baby in your arms, a toddler on your hip, or you're staying up late waiting for the teenager to come home, or you're sitting in a house and the kids are gone. Are you still all in? I, I think it's a great point. And as I've sat with couples again, coming in for counseling years later, and you can sometimes sense that one wants to be there and one doesn't want to be there. And I always start the conversation and say, are you both committed to try to make this work? Because if you're not, if one of you is not committed, why are we going to sit here and waste time if you're not committed to try? You've got to at least put the effort in and try. Commitment. It's just that important. So what does it mean to be all in? Okay, so here's some ways in which I think Scott and I demonstrated this in the past and how we'll continue to do so moving forward. When you lose your job, I will have your back and will believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. When we suffer another miscarriage, I will grieve with you. When we discover our child has a special need, I will hold your hand as we navigate a life we didn't anticipate. When you have a dream you want to pursue... I will dream with you and believe in you when you feel unsure. When you make another career change, I will dive in with you, cheering, supporting, and encouraging you every step of the way. When you're sad, I'll cry with you. And when you feel joy, I will laugh with you. When you're weak, I'll be strong for you. And when you're exhausted, worn out, and feel drained, I will walk for you. When you're questioning your faith, I'll pray for you. And when your burden feels heavy, I will remind you that we are yoked together. I chose you in 1996. And I'm choosing you again in 2020. And I'll choose you every day, sweetheart. Oh, that's so sweet. That's what it means, right? That's what it means to be all in. Okay. So we just want to issue you a challenge. It's the last challenge in our marriage series. But I think that this one um, can take into account everything that we've talked about in the last four weeks. I want you to individually write new marriage vows or a new commitment with everything you've experienced, with everything that you've already experienced in your marriage and in your life. I want you to write new commitment, new marriage vows. And then see if you can't try to work in those, those four C's. Talk about how you're going to be their cheerleader and then how you're going to communicate and connect and that you're committing to your marriage. And then on your next date, share those vows, those commitments with one another. And then I really, okay, I'm really into visuals just in general. So I just challenge you to take those vows, the ones that you've written, that commitment that you've written, and put it somewhere to remind yourself, to remind one another of the commitment that you're making to each other today. And if you still have children at home, what better way to model a committed biblical marriage than for your kids to also see those commitments, those vows that you're making to each other. Okay, it's our last question. Scott, you ready for this? I think I'm going to ask you. Oh, I'm so ready. All right, let's do it. All right. Last question. All right, so this came from someone who is single. So this is what she writes. I'm not married. What would you say is something I should take away from this marriage series? Is this marriage series applicable to me? A lot of this material we've talked about, it has been geared towards marriage, but it's, it's a really, series. it's a marriage series, 
but there are principles here that are helpful if you're dating. There are principles in here that deal with the communication and being a cheerleader. These are things you can apply to other relationships as well. But if you find yourself single or maybe single again, wondering and thinking, wow, will God send another person my way? Will I experience marriage again? What? And if so, what will I do differently this time? Let me give you some encouragement. There are some things here to take away. There are some things here you can file away and remember in the future to come back to the principles from Scripture that will always apply for your relationship. But look, right now, here's a better way to be spending your time. You, you may be out there looking and dating and on a website or meeting people at church or going places to socialize. It's like, I'm looking for the right person. I'm looking for that right guy or that right girl who's going to finally be the one that I can commit to the rest of my life and be happily ever after. Here's the thing. Spend your time working on yourself. Instead of looking for the right person, try becoming the right person. Be the type of person that the person you're looking for is looking for. I heard that one time from a pastor. Be the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. And you begin growing in your relationship with the Lord. Get get healed up. Get healthy. Get, get to a place where when you find that person, you're in the best possible position in life to be, to be able to start and, and, and develop a healthy relationship. Okay, so say the be looking thing two times in a row. It's like a tongue twister. Be the person that, sh- oh, that's okay. a good, yeah, yeah. That's one a good more. challenge. Try it again, one know. more, do it. Uh, try becoming the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. <laughs> that's it. Be the person the person you're looking for is looking for. Bam. Uh, credit Andy Stanley or somebody like that. I'm sure it was him. Amazing. Okay, I just want to encourage you on this last episode to not settle for just good enough, not settle for um, some surface conversations in your marriage, to not to not settle for being a fair weather fan, to not settle for being kind of connected and kind of not. Don't settle for it. Because what I know to be true is that there's so much more for your marriage. That God wants more for your marriage. And if you are just settling, you are not going to find it. So I say jump in, wives. Do the hard work because it is worth it. It's worth it. All right. And to finish off our marriage series 2020, here we go. The four for more, the last of it all. We want to say a blessing for you and for your marriage. May you see your marriage as a lifelong commitment to sacrificial love and submission to one another. May God help you shift your focus from the me to the we. May God grant you the strength to fight your own ego and the tendency to seek your own benefit above all others. And may you rely on God every day to help each of you overcome this and to live for each other with a resolute commitment forever. It's pretty awesome. Hey, this has been fun. We actually are working on our very next series already. Uh, We will have that released here sometime soon. Thanks for being part of our first marriage series together. Hope it's been helpful for you. Be sure to share this podcast, uh, like it, comment, review it for us. The more that you can interact with the podcast, uh, the more people will find it. It's on Apple, iTunes, it's on Spotify, it's on our website, so much more.me. You can go on there. All the show notes are available there as well. We have links 
for the information that we talk about, any references, any books that we talked about. There are links there that you can pick those up yourself. And I hope you're reading the blogs. They are in English and in Spanish. Um, if you have friends who speak Spanish and you think that they could use a little bit of marriage encouragement, share those blogs with them. We are so honored to be able to, to provide content for our English and our Spanish friends. All right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us. Stay tuned. Keep up with us on social media. We'll be announcing our next series soon. We're looking forward to it. We're going to have some interviews and some great information to share. So look for that soon. In the meantime, God bless you. And may God's kindness shine brightly on your marriage this week.